Hello, welcome back to another edition of the Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by my Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to talk to you guys about everything that happened in the week of professional wrestling from Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage. No Impact Wrestling because they did their best of Impact Wrestling this week as they're going into their rebranding of Impact back to TNA Wrestling. Uh, they'll be having their show, I believe it's what next week and that's whenever we get tna wrestling back but that's next week on a saturday for their pay-per-view so instead of me talking about impact wrestling before today's show's over i will be talking about new japan and their show that they had this past week Russell kingdom and how i felt about it now with all that being said let's start the show so we start with Monday Night Raw. Monday Night Raw will start with Becky Lynch going against Nia Jax. This is the most anticipated match between both of these ladies because Becky wants uh, some payback from Nia for breaking her face, what, a couple of years ago. And we're doing this in Nia's uh, hometown. Nia would get the win over Becky Lynch by hitting her with a bonsai drop. But she does this when she catches Becky Lynch uh, jumping off the second uh, turnbuckle looking for a leg drop. Nia would punch Becky right in the face. Knocking Becky out and then hit her with a bonsai drop to win the match. Uh, solid opening matchup for Monday Night Raw between Becky Lynch and Nia Jax. Uh, this is just basically going to continuing the plot between both of these ladies because I'm pretty sure Becky isn't going to like that Nia has a win over her. And I know that Nia is going to probably proud and uh, prance about this on Monday night saying she beat the man and this is going to continue on until Becky gets her. Uh, win over Nia. So this isn't the end of this, but Nia does get a win over the man, Becky Lynch. Uh, next up, we have Cody Rose coming out to the ring. Cody's out here. He welcomes everyone to the first Monday Night Raw of uh, 2024. This is their day one event. Cody would go into uh, saying how he's stuck on Shinsuke Nakamura. And it's not that because he's uh, Nakamura has said anything about his family or even sprayed him with poison mist. He's stuck on Nakamura because this thing between us is supposed to be over. Cody's supposed to be on to bigger, better things, especially since the Rumble is coming, but he's right now stuck on Shinsuke Nakamura. Now, Nakamura would appear on the Titantron. He would basically taunt Cody a little bit more, and next week we know that Cody is going against Shinsuke Nakamura. That's what this is all leading up to. Again, Nakamura and Cody, they're having their little beef. They're having their little rivalry here. And again, this is just leading up to them doing something for both of these guys because we're going into the Rumble season. Matter of fact, it's Rumble season this year, but we're going into the Royal Rumble pretty soon, and we need for Cody and Shinsuke Nakamura just to be on uh, the television show, be on the screen, and just need for them to do something. And again, I'm not opposed to this because I like Nakamura. He's uh, They've been rehabbing the Nakamura character, I'll say, since, what, September to now. They had him with Seth, and he did a great program with Seth in in my opinion, Nakamura should have won the World Heavyweight Championship, but they kept it on stuff. That's cool. And Cody, they've been working with Cody ever since he's been back to WWE since 2022 at WrestleMania. So for them to do something with both Cody and Nakamura until it's time for them to go into the Royal Rumble, this is cool. So continue the rivalry on. Now, next up, we have a tag team match. Uh, Imperium's Giovanni Vinci and Ludwig Kaiser going against main event Jay Uso and Kofi Kingston. This match would get stopped by referee Stoppage, and it would go over and hand the match over to Jay Uso and Kofi Kingston. When Giovanni Vinci would get kicked in the head by Kofi when Giovanni was jumping off the second turnbuckle to 
attack Kofi. Kofi would drop kick Giovanni in the head. Giovanni would uh, body would hit the mat, but his head would bounce off the canvas. Now the referee would go over, look at Giovanni, see if he's okay or not. The referee would have to like call for the stoppage. This is not a part of the show. This is something that happens in professional wrestling. You get concussions and all that type of stuff, so they have to take. Uh, extra precaution with their wrestlers, with their performers out there. So Giovanni Vinci, they take him out. Uh, he walks out on his own power. He doesn't get stretched out. So that's a good thing for Giovanni Vinci, and it's a good thing for the WWE because it seems that they've been trying not just WWE, but it seems that all professional wrestling has been trying to make it way more safer. And I'll say the real starting point of this, not. I'm not going way back because they've been doing this way back, but I'm saying recently by John Moxley, John Moxley in AEW when he had his match at with uh, Ray Phoenix at Grand Slam and John Moxley, he ends up getting like concussed or knocked out within like a couple of minutes of the match when it first starts and Moxley continues soldiering on and then he happens to get knocked out again towards later in the match and the referee doesn't stop it. The referee doesn't notice it and it will just continue going on. Now, AEW will get flagged by this a couple, like, literally the day after by everybody on social media, because everybody will say, how did they not stop this? How did they not see this? So, with John Moxley coming out, saying something about a month or two later, he said that, I don't care what it is, if a wrestler's knocked out, a referee needs to come in, stop it, and just call it is. WWE, they took this approach, they did this here with Giovanni Vinci. so again, the concussion thing, they're trying to be more and more uh, careful of their wrestlers and everybody else, and it seems that WWE and everybody else and professional wrestling is doing this, so WWE just did that right here on your show to show you what. Now, next up, we will have um, Miz TV. Miz TV, you will have Miz and the Judgment Day, but the Judgment Day doesn't come out. It's R-Truth. R-Truth still feels that he is a part of Judgment Day. Miz asks, where's the rest of Judgment Day? Truth says they're behind me. He knows uh, they are because, of course, He's a part of Judgment Day, which is, isn't the case. Uh, J.D. Madonna, Dominic Mysterio will come out. Uh, they don't like Truth. They say that he's not a part of Judgment Day. They say they will never waste their time coming on Miz TV. All this will lead up to Miz and Truth rejoining to come back together as Awesome Truth going against Judgment Day's Dominic Mysterio and J.D. Madonna. Now, the curve to this is that Truth still feels that he's in the Judgment Day, but he yells at uh, J.D. Madonna tells him he's not in the Judgment Day. So, during this tag team matchup, you see Miz attacking both Dominic and J.D. Madonna. Uh, R-Truth, he will only attack J.D. Madonna because he's not supposed to be in Judgment Day. He doesn't lay a finger on Dominic Mysterio. Now, towards the end of the match, J.D. Madonna, he will get wise to this, and he says, okay, fine. J.D. will hold up Miz and say, Truth, you're a part of Judgment Day, right? Hit him. Dominic would even encourage uh, Truth to hit Miz so you have JD holding up Miz. Truth will be in the middle of the ring. He starts winding his fist up and he says to Miz, I'm sorry, Miz. I love you. And Miz would duck his head when Truth runs over to hit him, which will lead Truth hitting JD. Dominic would run in. Truth would just stand there as Miz kicks Dominic in the face. Then Miz would hit JD McDonough with a skull crusher finale. So the awesome Truth gets a win. And again, it's more. Our truth and Miz getting win, but more Miz, to be honest with you. Uh, next up, we had Ivy Nile going against Rhea Ripley for the WWE Women's World Championship. 
Rhea Ripley, she would retain her women's championship by pinfall when she would catch Ivy Nile coming off the second turnbuckle with a diving headbutt. Rhea would cut her off and hit her in the air with a headbutt and then hit her with a riptide to retain her WWE Women's uh, World Championship. Solid match between Rhea and Ivy Nile. Uh, Ivy, she sh- had a good showing here, but nobody expected Rhea to lose the title to Ivy Nile. Uh, as I think everybody knows, Rhea, she's been on this dominant run since literally last year. I believe they cited her starting at Royal Rumble. And from Royal Rumble on to now, from last year, she has been on a dominant streak. She's been at the top of the food chain, whether it was on SmackDown or on Raw. She's just been on top. And we're going to continue this going forward because nobody's taking the title off of her until I'll say probably at WrestleMania. That's my personal opinion on this. Or if they want to... Nope. Scratch that. They're not doing that at Elimination Chamber. They're going to do it at Mania. So, they're probably going to keep Rhea Ripley strong until WrestleMania, where she probably drops the uh, Women's World Championship to whoever they have her going against uh, her at Mania. But Rhea and Ivy, they had a solid matchup here. No harm, no foul. None for me to complain about. Um, Next up, it was always speculated. It was speculated on social media about... Triple H saying that a former WWE champion will be appearing on the show, and it's time for that. And we would get duped at the beginning. Out will walk Jinder Mahal. Everybody wouldn't feel this. Jinder would get on the microphone and start getting at the crowd in attendance for saying how disappointed they are in his return. And he would just start getting on a rant about the USA, the typical foreigner USA stuff. He would get cut off, though, by a returning Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Now, whenever they hit the if you smell, the whole crowd just busts out their seat. You hear this audible pop that everybody just starts cheering and everything. They even have a video, if you go on social media for this, of the ring announcer, Samantha uh, Irvine, I believe her is her name. Don't misquote me on this. Her name, her name is, uh, is a Samantha, but you will see her, whatever the issue you smell, she just like quickly pops out of her chair like she's a fan. I don't think she knew about The Rock showing up. And if she did, she played it up perfectly. Um, Rock comes down. He speaks about uh, America, how Jenner Mahal is uh, trying to talk trash about America, saying how in this great country, you could come here and talk bad about this country, while in other countries, you can't do that. Uh, he would call Jenner Mahal a day one douchebag. As a matter of fact, you have the crowd on one side say day one, and the other crowd say douchebag. And for a couple seconds, they the crowd would bounce off, and even The Rock would have to kind of shut it down. Uh, Dwayne would constantly get at Jinder Mahal, saying this and that about him, until Jinder couldn't take it anymore. Do you see Jinder kick uh, Dwayne, and now you start seeing Rock do his business. Rock gets him with a spine buster, hit him with a people elbow, and you think that'll be it. But that isn't it. The Rock would pick up the microphone and he would finally talk about something that we have been waiting for him to talk about for some time. San Diego. I love you. Tonight, after all this ass kicking, The Rock is going to go out in San Diego. I'm a little hungry. I'm going to go get something to eat. When The Rock goes out to get something to eat tonight, in San Diego, should The Rock sit in a booth or should The Rock sit at the bar? (laughs) 
Yeah, The Rock loves a bar too. Or should The Rock sit at the head of the table? I love you too, San Diego. And that's what I thought. If you're some man, what the rock is cooking. So now with finally rock mentioning, or at least alluding to the head of the table stuff, and at least alluding to him finally going at least against Roman Reigns, or at least has his eyes set on Roman Reigns, we now know there is some plans put in action. Now, we have no idea whether it's going to be at WrestleMania or at Elimination Chamber. A lot of people would rather see it at Elimination Chamber so Cody could have his story be finished at WrestleMania against Roman Reigns. But nobody knows. We'll all just have to wait and see. But I'm glad they finally are doing Rock and Roman. That's was something that's been on the list for some time now. So I'm glad they're finally uh, making their way onto that. Now, next up after this, we will have a tag team match. Natalia and Tegan Knox going against... Shayna Baszler and Zoe Starks. Shayna and Zoe would win the match by pinfall. When Shayna Baszler would have Tegan Knox and German suplexer, and Zoe would grab Tegan and hit her with a Z360 to win the match for her team. So it seems that Shayna Baszler and Zoe Starks are at least moving up the ranks to challenge for the WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. That's where I think this is all leading up to. Now, we go to the main event. Is for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. We have Drew McIntyre going against Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins, he would retain his World Heavyweight Championship by pinfall when Seth Rollins would hit uh, Drew McIntyre with a curb stomp to retain his World Heavyweight Championship. Um, Drew and Seth, they had a good match. You know what time it is. Drew and Seth, they don't ever really have bad matches. It's a rare miss when they do have a bad match, but this match was good, um, and you have Damian Priest, he would try to come down and even cash in his Money in the Bank briefcase, but Drew McIntyre, he would stop that, he would hit Damian Priest with a Claymore kick outside of the ring, he would hit Dominic with a belly-to-belly suplex, and then when Drew got back in the ring, he would hit Seth with a Claymore kick, and you would think at this moment, Drew was going to win the World Weight Championship, but no, he gets overzealous, he, like, and his in his uh pin, he would pull Seth's leg so far up that Seth's foot would hit the second rope and like lay on there. The referee would see it and he would stop his count. If Drew didn't pull Seth's leg so far up, he would have became the new World Heavyweight Champion. But since that happened, that wasn't the case. So now we're gonna have to wait and see who Drew blames for him not becoming World Heavyweight Champion now. He's more likely going to blame Priest for taking, for getting him to take his eye off the ball of Seth. But Seth Rollins, he's still your World Heavyweight Champion as we move over into uh, the Royal Rumble. Now, with that, that was your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over into NXT, where NXT had their uh, New Year's Evil show. And it was plagued by, I'll say, an injury and a missing uh, competitor. Injury, Ilya Dragunov. Ilya Dragunov was supposed to defend his NXT championship against Trick Williams on that show, but that does not happen because the medical team will not allow Ilya to compete. So, 
instead of Ilya competing, we get Grayson Waller. Grayson Waller's here on NXT. He's in the backstage area. Uh, Trick and Mello are talking. Grayson would pop up. Uh, Trick and Grayson talk to one another because they're the only two men Iron Survivor uh, challenge winners. And you just see them talking amongst one another, talking crap. Uh, Mello, he would talk up for Trick, and he has so much faith in his boy Trick beating Grayson Waller that he puts up Trick's normal contender matchup against Ilya Dragunov for the NXT Championship. Grayson would accept it. Trick, he would look at Mello like, what are you doing? But that's the main event for NXT's New Year Evil. While on the opposite end, for the missing superstar, uh, Dragon Lee, he was supposed to be teaming up with Cruz del Toro and Joaquin Wild as they go against the North Quarter catch crew. But Dragon Lee, he isn't able to be on NXT because he has visa trouble. I believe he was stuck in Mexico at that point and he was a, wasn't able to get back into the States. So with Dragon Lee not being there, they had to get another person to team up with Cruz and Wild, and that will ultimately end up being Carlito. But I'll get to those matches when I get to them. Uh, New Year's Evil. It will open up with the NXT Women's Championship matchup. It would have Lyra Valkyria, the champion, defending her championship against Blair Davenport. Lyra would retain her championship by pinfall by hitting a uh, roundhouse kick on um, Blair, then grabbing her and hitting her with the cradle shock, which I'm not certain if they got a name for her for that move. They, she remixed the name, but it's the cradle shock. If you watch Impact Wrestling, or you can just type into YouTube, Cradle Shock, it's Chris Saban right next to it, you'll see the move. And that's the move that Lyra Valkyria won with to retain her NXT Women's Champion. I'll say Blair Davenport, she kind of snake bit herself in this matchup because she had the match. She was working over Lyra. She got too ambitious whenever her and Lyra were outside of the ring. Blair tried to go for her finisher where she grabs her opponents by her both of her arms and then like thrusts her knee right into her opponent's face, which is the Komogoye. But she does this next to Lyra and she's by the commentator's table. So Lyra, she would move her head. So when Blair's knee like pops over to Lyra's head, instead of hitting Lyra's face, Blair's knee hits the commentator's table. So now when that happens, you have a big bullseye on your knee, and now you can't do the moves that you're accustomed to doing, like a double uh, foot stomp, uh, falcon arrow. All those moves require you to have strength in your legs, which is kind of damaged at this point. And as I said, that kind of snake bitter because once they get back in the ring, Blair would try to go for a falcon arrow on Lyra. Lyra would kind of get out of it because Blair can't hold herself up. This will allow Lyra to hit the roundhouse kick and then hit her with the cradle shock. DDT to uh, retain her NXT Women's Championship. Now, after this match, we have another cash-in trying to go in. We have Lola Vice, who is the winner of the women's uh, NXT Breakout Tournament. She would try to come out and cashing on her contract on Lyra, but Tatum Paxley, who we still have no idea what her affiliation with Lyra is at this moment, would be on the... Uh, God, barricade and jump off on Lyra, not Lyra, but on Lola Vice and start beating up on her. Then Electra Lopez, who is a friend of Lola, will come down, beat up on Tatum. Now we have Lyra coming down and beat up on Electra Lopez. We have all these four women just brawling. Referees will pull them apart. And now you still have this look that 
um, Tatum is giving to Lyra. And Lyra is just looking at Tatum. And we still have no idea why Tatum is sticking up for Lyra all this time. They haven't really, like, gave a reason why for that yet. Hopefully, within the upcoming weeks, we at least get something. Now, after this, we get to the six-man tag. We got the LWO going against the no-quarter catch crew. LWO, they will win this match by a pinfall when Carlito will hit Damon Kim with a backstabber, tag in Cruz Del Toro, and Cruz would hit a Phoenix Splash onto Damon Kemp to win the match. Solid six-man tag. Uh, the big thing that came out of this was a social media spot. You had a crew, quarter catch crew outside of the ring that's Drew Gulak, Damon Kemp, Miles Bourne, and you see Carlito and uh, Cruz Del Toro on the ring apron. You will see Joaquin Wilde standing on the second rope. They would basically like slingshot him off the second rope onto uh, no quarter catch crew. And when they slingshot uh, Wilde off, you see Wilde just fly in the air. And you don't really see how far the distance is until they have it on a different angle. And again, social media, they showed it like he got flung a long way shot onto. Uh, the guys outside of the ring. But other than that, solid six-man tag. Carlito being on NXT for this was cool. Having uh, Cruz and Wild back at NXT for this sh- moment right here was cool. Again, having main roster people going back to NXT is a nice little uh, moment. Now, next matchup, we had Ariana Grace going against Roxanne Perez. Roxanne Perez would win this match by pitfall by hitting Pop Rocks on Grace. But after the match... Uh, you see Ariana Grace get in Roxanne's face and just start pestering her and just being a complete annoyance to Roxanne Perez to the point that Perez starts getting at Grace and starts beating her up, like literally start uh, getting on top of her, punching her in the face, then locking her into a cross face. And on commentary, you see Booker T, who is a trainer of Roxanne Perez. He is trying to tell the referee, Ayo, get in there separated because he knows the outcome of this was going to happen if the referee doesn't break this up and see Roxanne continue beat up on Grace. And what ends up happening is the referee would go outside the ring, tell the ring announcer that he has reversed his decision and he gives the win to Ariana Grace by disqualification. And that's what happens. Ariana Grace would win this match by disqualification. So Roxanne Perez loses because she has a hot temper. Now, hopefully we get Booker T coming in to try to talk to Roxanne Perez, either in the backstage area or in a segment of Roxanne just talking in the middle of the ring. And hopefully that, I like they were breaking away from goody two-shoes Roxanne Perez. The girls are just here, that she's happy to be here, and that she accomplished everything in a quick, like, quick time frame. Because Roxanne Perez, if we're going to be honest, she's only been in NXT for a year and I'll say five months, five, six months. That's how long she's been in there. And in that time, she already was the NXT breakout uh, tournament winner for the women's side. She was already NXT women's tag team champion. She was already NXT women champion. She accomplished everything all within a legit, not even a year, within I'll say six, seven months that she was down there in NXT. So, with her doing this and her breaking away from that, always being goody-goody and, having her, and letting her see this uh, 
angry more side of Roxanne Perez. I like that we're going down this path of Roxanne. And again, I would like for them to have Booker T try to come in there and try to temper Roxanne down and telling her when to apply that uh, more aggressiveness and when to like calm it down. So hopefully we get that into the future. Next after this, we have Fallon Henley going against Tiffany Stratton, where if Tiffany won, Fallon was going to be Tiffany's servant. But if uh, Fallon won, Tiffany was going to be Fallon's uh, ranch right-hand woman. Basically, you're a worker for Fallon. And Fallon would win the match by pinfall, uh, hitting Tiffany with a shining wizard when Tiffany would be arguing with the ref, playing tug-of-war with the referee with a steel chair that Tiffany brought in and she was going to use. Uh, as I said, Tiffany took her eye off the ball. Fallon came in, hit her with a shining wizard. So now Tiffany has to be Fallon's ranch hand. And we're going to get some nice-looking footage of Tiffany having to do some dirty work. I like how people are already associating the Tiffany Stratton working as a ranch hand or as a uh, farmer hand to Paris Hilton in the surreal life. Uh, I believe that was surreal life or simple life. One of the two. Uh, the Paris Hilton uh, show that she did with her and uh, God was it Nicole Richie. I like how people are already making the comparison to that. And hopefully we get some of that next week with footage of Tiffany being on a farm, doing some uh, farmer type stuff and her getting grossed out by that. That's what I'm hoping for because the Tiffany character is a prissy uh, female. She's not supposed to be made for housework. She's not supposed to be made for any of that. She's a shopper. She's a debutante. She's a nose in the air type of character. So hopefully we get some grossness from Tiffany and her just being freaked out by that next week on NXT. That's what I'm hoping for. Now, next up after this, we get the finals of the men's breakout tournament. We have Obafemi going against Riley Osborne. Obafemi, he would become the new uh, NXT breakout tournament winner when he would hit uh, Riley Osborne with a pop-up powerbomb to win the match. I don't think anybody had any problem with this, and I don't think anybody saw anything shocking by this. Because when this tournament started... Obafemi was the guy. Obafemi was the guy that we all thought was going to win. He got the. He was the guy that got the uh, most crowd response. He was a guy that was already introduced to us. I'll say a year ago, and he hasn't been recaptured since that time. And again, I think he was probably on NXT level up. I saw a clip of him on there. I didn't really. I don't really keep up with NXT level up. I don't. I keep up on the NXT show, but not level up. Um. But Obafemi, he beat Riley Osborne. He now has a shot to cash in this breakout tournament contract whenever he feels like it on the NXT Championship or the NXT uh, North American Championship. And with Obafemi having this contract, I don't think anybody will have a problem with him actually going after the NXT Championship at any point in time because Obafemi is a big dude. He's a powerhouse. He is nothing but power. And... Uh, I can see them just hot shotting him up to the NXT championship, or I can see them having to wait and have them go and slowly build and burn just like did they did with Carmelo Hayes and had him cash in for the NXT North American championship. I can see it be either way, but I'm happy that Obafemi did win the tournament because it was kind of a uh, clear, that was kind of like the clear winner, to be honest. But uh, yeah, glad for Obafemi. Now, Next up after this, we get to our main event. We have Grayson Waller going against Trick Williams, number one contenders match for the NXT Championship. 
Trick Williams would retain his number one contendership by hitting Grayson Waller with a running knee. Now, we would get interference from both Carmelo Hayes and Kevin Owens. When Trick Williams was ready for Grayson Waller to get up so he could hit him with his running knee, you see Carmelo Hayes run down to the ring, get on the ring apron, talk to Trick, and this was a strike trick, and this will allow Grayson Waller to roll out of the ring, and he's just catching his breath, and he's just waiting for Trick to stop talking to Melo so he can uh, do his finish, which is a run-in rolling stunner. Now, as he's catching his breath, he would turn his head, and standing right there is Kevin Owens with his cast. Kevin Owens would pop Grayson Waller in the head with his cast, throw Grayson Waller into the ring, and this will allow Trick Williams to run over, hit a jumping knee on Grayson Waller, and pin Grayson Waller to retain his number one contender as the NXT champion. Uh, I think we're going to get more of Carmelo call, trying to cause Trick the number one contendership. Because you can see, even after the match, as Trick is celebrating, Melo, he is standing on the outside of the ring, not getting in the ring and celebrating with his boy. He's standing outside of the ring. He lifts his head up slightly. They lifts it back down, looking at the ground, and he has to do the slow clapping for Trick. I think... Carmelo doesn't want to attack Trick. I think Carmelo knows deep down inside that Trick is his friend, but you see the ambition in Melo. You see that, it again, Melo, he's always been the guy been in the spotlight. Trick's always been the guy that's been his side guy. He's been the guy that has done all the entrance uh, speaking for him, did all that type of stuff. But now with the spotlight being on Trick, you can see that Melo isn't like... He isn't really digging it. So, again, I think we're going to see more of that until we finally get the time where Melo's going to turn on Trick, to be honest. If we never get Melo turning on Trick, I think that would be a shock to everyone. But this is professional wrestling. People turn on one another, and it always makes for good storyline methods and good storytelling. So, we're waiting for Ilya. Whenever they put Ilya back on TV to go against Trick for the NXT Championship. But right now, we're still dealing with Melo uh, messing with Trick and uh, trying to cost him that number one contendership. So, with that being said, that was your New Year's Evil uh, edition of NXT. Oh, yeah, by the way, NXT next week, it was announced that they will be bringing back the Dusty Tag Team Classic. And so far, as of right now, the teams that are in this are Idris, Anafe, and Malik Blade. Uh, Nathan Frazier and Axiom. You have Chase U being represented by Duke Hudson and Riley Osborne. The other team that's in there is a team of Baron Corbin and Braun Breaker. They have decided to come together. Corbin more than less than Braun because Corbin tried to get Braun to side with them because both of them are uh, hated by the people and that they can just dominate this thing and win tag team gold. So you got them now in the tournament. They got a couple more teams that has to be announced in this thing. But uh, yeah, those are the teams so far that have entered the Dusty Tag Team Classic, which will be starting next week on NXT. Now, with that out of the way, now we go over into AEW Dynamite. This is the Dynamite that has the follow-up from AEW World's End. And AEW would show off a video package or a video of the new AEW World Champion, Samoa Joe, talking backstage after he beat MJF. He basically stating that this is his 
show now. This is his promotion. He's the new face of this franchise. So that's where we're at. We don't get no more Samoa Joe after this. He's not appearing on the show. Now, after we get the video playing, we would get Adam Cole, Warlow, The Kingdom, and Roderick Strong to come out. And we finally get to hear from Adam Cole explaining why he did what he did to MJF at World's End. What? What? You guys don't have sympathy for me? Listen, I find it, I find it so, so ironic that so many people were disgusted, appalled, shocked by what happened at World's End, which to me means two things. One, you're all stupid, and two, you don't understand right from wrong. Uh, you, you think I'm the bad guy. You think we are the bad guys because I betrayed MJF. You know, MJF, the guy who has created more enemies in AEW than anyone ever, the guy who for years, for years, has run his mouth about every single person in that locker room and all of you, but I'm the bad guy. Listen, if that makes me the devil, then buy me a first-class ticket straight to hell. MJF is a narcissist. The only person that MJF cares about is MJF. And MJF, he's had his claws hooked into AEW for far too long. And I think it's about damn time there was a change. How could you, Adam? How could you? Well, there's a lot of reasons why I did what I did. First of all, the second MJF felt like he didn't need me anymore, he would have done the exact same thing to me. I just beat him to the punch. But that, that's the key word, need. Because Adam Cole never needed MJF. MJF needed Adam Cole. I sacrificed everything within that friendship. For God's sakes, that's how I broke my damn ankle. I'm the one who lost something, not him. MJF needed Adam Cole. As a matter of fact, none of you would even be cheering or chanting for MJF without Adam Cole. Better than you, Bebe, made you fall in love with MJF. That's me. I saved MJF's world championship reign, and I also ended it. Because in the beginning, in the beginning, this was all about the AEW World Championship, but then it turned, it turned into something so, so much more. This is about destroying a man to his core. This is about ripping out a man's heart and bringing him to his knees. MJF is dead. Self-esteem is built on action, and we took action. We were sick and we were tired of waiting for things to change because AEW needed change and we gave it to you. The Undisputed Kingdom starts a new chapter here in AEW. And the devil, the devil's here to stay, baby. So you got Adam Cole's explanation for why him and the rest of his cohorts, better known as the Undisputed Kingdom, did what they did to MJF at World's End. And when you listen to Adam Cole break it down, Adam Cole isn't wrong. Adam Cole, everybody knows that MJF is a narcissist. MJF only cares about himself. That's the truth. Even though he was in this team with Adam Cole, when you break it down, and even when MJF was talking, whenever he had to defend the championship, even in his teamship with uh, Adam Cole. It was all about MJF. Even when Adam Cole had to run around whenever he said that he was talking to Roger Strong on the phone, MJF was worried about himself. Me, me, me. 
Now, if you didn't listen to my review, I'll break this down to you more simply right now in a big bubble. Well, short and condensed version here. Adam Cole and his Undisputed Kingdom, they did what MJF did in 2022 at All Out to him at World's End, but they did it in months, period. At All Out 2022, you had MJF cope this big group known as The Firm. They all dressed in black. They interrupted a ladder match to see who's going to be the next guy to challenge for the AEW World Championship at any time. They took the chip. They handed it off to the devil, disguised as MGF. MGF unmasked himself at the end of All Out 2022, and he has the next shot to challenge for the AEW World Championship. Now, fast forward, Adam Cole, he dresses as the devil. He has his uh, group of guys. They beat up on people to make it seem that it's MJF, which we all now know it isn't him. And they basically took that concept of what MJF did two years ago now to now. They expanded out months, and I like what they did there. They played MJF's own tactic rule on him, and MJF should have saw it but he didn't see it. Now, I like this. I like this group because everybody has a purpose. And even like the firm, everybody in this group has a purpose. Like in the firm, you had uh, Lee Moriarty, who's supposed to go after the ROH Pure Championship. You had the Guns, who's supposed to go after the tag team titles. You had Ethan Page, who's supposed to go after the International Championship. You had Big Bill, who was just basically supposed to be the enforcer, while MGF, he was going after the World Championship. Now, fast forward it, you look at the Undisputed Kingdom, Adam Cole, which you didn't hear in this clip, Adam Cole says in his promo here that the Undisputed Kingdom, they all come together, one, to get rid of Max, and two, to go after gold and collect it. They already have gold with uh, the Kingdom having the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. You have Roger Strong, who's going after the AEW International Championship, and shockingly, Warlow, who's going to be going after the World Championship, and Willow's going to take that World Championship and hold on to it until Adam Cole is 100% medically cleared and back to himself. Because once that happens, Warlow will be dropping the title to Adam Cole. Now, when Adam Cole said that, they would pan a camera onto Warlow, and you could even see Warlow having a little smug face like, yeah, right, I'm not dropping that title. So you're already start seeing a little bit of the cracks in that plan right there, foreshadowing for later down the line if Warlow ever gets that World Championship. So you have that, and also, what you didn't hear in the clip, Adam Cole does say that he did agree with Samoa Joe. They did do a business deal, so Samoa Joe did know that the devil all along was Adam Cole. And Adam Cole does tell Joe that he hopes that Joe loses that championship before Warlow gets to Joe, because it would suck to beat up a friend. So with that being the Undisputed Kingdom's mission statement, you have that. Now, once Adam Cole is done speaking, out walks Jay White. Jay White, he's on the <laughs> top of the stage. He's not happy with Adam Cole. He says, Adam, uh, my dear good buddy, Adam, I like that you did this plan to MGF. I admire that. However, what I hate was that you made me collateral damage in your plan. I hate that you guys put hands on me. So now, I got to get you guys for that now. So you see the guns, Austin and Colton, come out. Warlow has to take Adam Cole outside of the ring, and you see the guns in Jay White going after the Kingdom and Roger Strong in the ring. So you got a six-person business deal right now. 
Warlow would come in to help out his uh, group members to beat up on Bullet Club Gold until the Acclaim and Billy Gunn would come out. They made their return because remember, they got took out by the Undisputed Kingdom, I would say, a month ago. So they come and made their return. The Undisputed Kingdom would leave out of the ring. And you see Adam Cole, he hides behind the doctor of AEW, and you see the AEW doctor just shouting out the acclaim in Bullet Club Gold that Adam Cole is not medically clear. You can't touch him. You can't touch him. So you see the acclaim in Bullet Club Gold in the ring while the Undisputed Era, they go out through the crowd, and you see both Bullet Club Gold and the acclaim stare at one another. You got the crowd there. The crowd is chanting, scissor me, because remember, the guns... Their father's Billy Gunn. He's teaming up with the Acclaim. So you think we're going to get this big kumbaya moment because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Nope, we don't get that. Jay White, he tells the guns, follow me. Let's leave out of here. And you start seeing the guns follow Jay White and go up the ramp. And there you have it. We're already starting off with a bang with AEW Dynamite going into the beginning of the year. And it's already, that's the first segment of the show. We will continue on after this. We have the AEW International Championship being defended. You have Orange Cassidy going against Dante Martin. Orange Cassidy, he would win the match by pinfall, retaining his championship by hitting Orange Punch onto Dante Martin to retain the championship. And it was a good match between the two guys. As I said in my uh, last week's episode when I gave the year-end review and I said who's to look out for in 2024 for AEW, I said top flight. And already Dante Martin, as we know, AEW put a lot of eggs in that Dante Martin basket. He has this match with Orange Cassidy for the International Championship. They have a great match to follow up that great segment. And everybody's happy by this. Everybody's good. Everybody feels great seeing Dante in this position going against Orange Cassidy. And he is once again able to show off why you should look forward to him being a champion somewhere down the line. Whether it be a tag champion, trio champion, or even a singles champion, Dante Martin is able to carry after the match, you see Hook, Dan Housen come down to the ring for Orange. You see Dante Martin have Darius Martin, his brother, and Action Andretti come down and check up on him. You see uh, Hook and Dante shake hands, and then you will hear Private Party's music hit. And we got the return of Mark Quinn back with Isaiah Cassidy. And I am happy by this because Private Party would get on the mic, reintroduce themselves, and let everyone know that they've been keeping an eye on the tag division. And they say the tag division has been lacking flavor, meaning the tag division has been lacking. And they're here to bring it back. They start saying that they are putting tag teams on notice. They will say FTR, they will say the Young Bucks, and they will even say the Hardys. So we have Private Party back. And it seems that AEW is going to be putting a lot of more emphasis back on tag team wrestling the way that they did whenever they first started. And I'm happy about this because Private Party was a team that I was hoping to come back and that I hope becomes tag team champions and that I hope they don't get the treatment that Santana and Ortiz did. A team that we so hope, wish would have been tag team champions, but it never ever got that opportunity and never got that time to hold championships same thing like the best friends chuck taylor and trent they should have been tag champions but that didn't happen so hopefully prior party doesn't get that hopefully they become tag team champions before 2024 is over with and that's what i'm hoping for and more bigger than that i hope the tag team division gets back to me set on fire the way it was in 2019 now after this we get the in-ring debut of mariah may she go against uh queen I hate to say her name messing up, uh, Amanada. 
sorry, that's her name, Amanata. Mariah May, she would win her match by pitfall by hitting Mayday, which is a basically a fireman's carry sit-out style. So basically an FU or an attitude adjustment, but she sits out with it. And she wins the match. Saw the match between Mariah May and Amanata. I think everybody knew Mariah May was going to win because, as I said before, it's a trope in professional wrestling. When it's someone debut, you do not lose your debut match. You usually have a good match against who you're going against. It's more either a squash or about a good 60-40. I'll say a 60-40 here because Queen Amanada, she's been in AEW. She's wrestled some of the women that we're starting to see being like highlighted now. Queen Amanada, she does not have a contract with AEW. She should, by the way, because they constantly bring her in. Just sign her already. Uh, so this was more of a 60-40 match, but Mariah May, she wins her match here, her debut in AEW. So after this, she gets an entering interview with Renee Paquette. Uh, she says that she's happy to be in the AEW. She's happy that she won her first match. Uh, she hoped that Miss Tony Storm saw the match wherever she is and that she only regrets having this match in New Jersey. Now, when she says New Jersey, out would walk Deanna Perrazzo. Deanna Perrazzo, who is a free agent, she's no longer with Impact Wrestling. She would come down to the ring. She will let everyone know that she is from New Jersey and that she is all elite and that this is now the age of the virtuosa. And she would tell Mariah to tell Tony Storm that this is the age of uh, virtuosa and that she's here now. Mariah May, she would tell Deanna that she isn't a messenger and slaps Deanna across the face. Then you see Deanna slap uh, Mariah back and then you see Deanna even hit Mariah with a boot to the face, and then Mariah would roll out of the ring. So that's how Deanna Perrazzo is now entering herself into AEW, and she is a signed competitor for AEW. So AEW has now picked up on Deanna Perrazzo, one of the great uh, women wrestlers from Impact Wrestling, and hopefully, as I said, they do good with her as they are doing with their AEW women's roster because it seems that they're picking up steam with the AEW women's roster. That's what I'm hoping for, and that's what the fans are hoping for, so hopefully AEW doesn't screw this up. Hopefully they continue to build up with the AEW women's roster and uh, have great women's wrestling matches. Now, next up, we will have Christian Cage, Nick Wayne, Shayna Wayne, and Luchasaurus. I will not call him Killswitch. That is a stupid name for a competitor. And this is Christian Cage's uh, talk to the people. Christian Cage, he would thank Mama Wayne for being there for him at World's End. He would thank Nick Wayne for putting his body on the line for him at World's End, being put through a flaming table by Adam Copeland. And he would thank himself lastly for winning his match at World's End. And the funny thing is, as he's thanking Mama Wayne, and as he's thanking Nick Wayne, and as he's talking about the last person that he has to thank. He goes up to Luchasaurus and he just starts hyping this person up and yada, yada, yada. And he ultimately says he would like to thank himself. You see Luchasaurus get deflated. And you see the fans start chanting for Luchasaurus. And you see Luchasaurus start feeling it. And you just start like looking at the fans and looking at Christian and looking back at the fans, looking back at Christian. So you don't know if Luchasaurus is about to attack Christian here or not. Ultimately, he doesn't. Uh, Christian, he would give it up to Adam Copeland for giving him one hell of a fight at World's End and saying that both men have left a part of their soul 
that night. But here's the deal. Christian doesn't have a soul. Christian will even say that himself. And that he tells Adam that he is now at the back of the line. He's beaten Adam twice now. So he gets no more title shots for him. And Christian was saying that he is the greatest champion in AEW. He's brought the TNT Championship to become the most prestigious championship in that company. And he's going to hold on to that championship until he decides to hand it off to Nick Wayne so he can carry on the family legacy. So Christian Cage, he is completely delusional. He has completely taken in Nick Wayne as his quote-unquote son and the mother is completely, I'm not even going to say mind control, the mother's completely okay with it. This is crazy. Again, this is the TNA Christian Cage coalition uh, factor, but just revved it up to another level. And this is Christian Cage at the masterful level of being a masterful manipulator. And again, I'm enjoying this, what Christian is doing. I can't wait to see who he goes against next. So we'll have to wait and see with that. Now, next up after this, we have Darby Allen going against Kanosuke Takeshita. Don Callis was on commentary for this. This was a good match between both Takeshita and Darby Allen. Uh, Darby, he constantly gets thrown like a ragdoll. My God, Darby, dude, Darby, you need to calm yourself down, man. I hope you are not in any type of serious pain. I know wrestlers just get nagging pains here and there. But Darby, he takes some gnarly stuff, man. Like, during this match, my guy took a rolling German suplex from the walking aisle from Kanosuke Takeshita. Uh, he would take a, God, I believe a blue thunder bomb, and he would get hit with German suplexes in this ring. And the way that he lands on it, it just doesn't seem that flattering. Um, Darby, he would get a Kanosuke Takeshita as well. Takeshita would eat some hits, eat some, uh, movements away from, uh, Darby, and he even hit a suicide dive. I mean, Takeshita, he would get banged up in here and there too, but Darby, he's just a linky dude. He needs to just calm it down off the, uh, taking bumps like that. Uh, Takeshita, he would win with a running knee to the face on Darby, and that's how Takeshita will win. And later in the night, you will see Don Callis with Takeshita, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Kyle Fletcher. And uh, Don Callis will throw out the challenge to both Sting and Darby for a tag match next week. And it was confirmed later in the night. So next week on Dynamite, you will have Kanosuke Takeshita and Powerhouse Hobbs going against Darby Allin and Sting. Now next after this, we have a fatal four-way matchup for the AEW Continental Crown Number Contenders uh, match. You have Brian Cage, Brian Keith. Uh, El Hio Del Vikingo and Trent Peretta in this matchup while Eddie Kingston, the Continental Crown Champion on commentary. Uh, Trent, he would win this match by pinfall by hitting Dude Buster onto Brian Keith to become the number one contender for the AEW Continental Crown uh, Championship. Uh, Trent Peretta, this is his, I'm not going to say second time, but this it seems like they're giving Trent more opportunities to go after championship goals. Uh, I believe, what, a month ago, he went against Christian Cage on, I believe, Rampage for the TNT Championship. He didn't get the job done. Uh, at Worlds in the pre-show, he, him and uh, Luchasaurus were the last two guys in the Battle Royal to see who was going to win the anytime, anyplace TNT contract, and he didn't win that. And this, he wins against Brian Keith to become the number one contender for Eddie Kingston's Continental Crown Championship. 
I'm glad that they're constantly giving Trent something here. Trent is one of those guys that wants to, uh, you see, is in his ambition to become a champion, and I hope that he gets that opportunity, but he's not going to beat Eddie Kingston. That match is going to happen on collision, so I don't see Tripperetta beating Kingston at all, but we'll have to wait and see. But again, we're not going to have a, a new champion on collision. We're just not, unless some freakish accident ends up happening to Kingston, which I'm not, ha- I'm not hoping for that at all. Now, after this, we will go off to the main event. We will have Daniel Garcia going against Swerve Strickland. We will have Daddy Magic on commentary, and we will have uh, Prince Nana in Swerve's corner. Swerve, he will win this match by pinfall by hitting the JML driver. This was a great match between two guys that are hot on the AEW card that the fans truly care about. They care about Swerve because of his menacing uh, look. They care about Swerve because of his aggression. They care about Swerve because of the Prince Nana Swerve. Uh, dance. They care about Daniel Garcia because he has a great underdog mentality. They know Daniel Garcia is a great wrestler, and they like Daniel Garcia and his dance. At one point, you even get a little dance-off between Prince Nana and Daniel Garcia, and that would get the crowd just hyped and popping for that, but the competition between Daniel Garcia and Swerve Strickland is everything that you want, especially with, as I said, two guys that are just I mean, just the hot of the trot of AEW right now. I mean, those are two guys that you will say like, okay, you see what they're doing with Swerve. You see why they like Swerve. You see why the fans want Swerve to be world champion next. You see it. And you see that on the flip side, Dave Garcia, he's a guy that's been a technical guy. He's been in AEW, I'll say, for about two years now. He's been a guy that, okay, we know he's a good technical wrestler. When he joined a uh, JAS and did the whole sports entertainer deal, and now he just added the dance to his repertoire, you can see where his trajectory is going next. You see why the fans love him, and you see it from the match here when Swerve is beating up on Daniel Garcia towards the end of the match. He gives him a house call, like the running side kick to the head. He gives him the Swerve stomp, and the Swerve stomp usually puts people away. That doesn't happen. So you see Swerve give him another house call. Doesn't put him away. And now even gets Swerve to the point like, screw it. I got to hit him with the JML driver. He has to pull the big joker out. And he does it. And he hits Daniel Garcia with it. And he gets the one, two, three. Daniel Garcia is the true underdog. And that's just what is happening with Daniel Garcia. And everybody in professional wrestling loves a good underdog character, underdog story. And that's what they're doing with Daniel Garcia. So... With Daniel Garcia being an underdog, losing to Swerve in the fashion that he did do it, a competitive fashion, you can see Daniel Garcia probably being on more AEW Dynamites in 2024. Now, after the win from Swerve, you see Swerve standing up, and he extends his hand out to Daniel Garcia. Daniel Garcia, he gets up, holds his head, and you see him slowly going over to reach over to shake Swerve's hand, but Nana, he would come in and just low blows Daniel Garcia. Now you see both, no, not both, Swerve is putting the boots to Daniel, Nana gets a microphone, Danny Magic comes in, Swerve will beat up on Danny Magic, and then you see both Garcia and Magic roll out of the ring. Uh, Nana would say a couple words, and then you hear Adam Page's music hit, The Hangman. Hangman's in a bad bad mood because he wants to get at Adam Cole, but he can't get out of Adam Cole, so the next best person, he gets at Swerve, because Swerve has made his life a living hell as well, so you see Hangman Page come down to the ring, get in Swerve's face, Swerve, he kind of 
takes a look, and then he just starts getting a menacing smile, and then you see Hangman swing on Swerve, and now you get a brawl between Swerve and Hangman, going back and forth, both of the guys. Uh, backstage officials and backstage people, personnel, will come out to separate each man from each other. Hangman, he will break away from it, and get at Swerve. Uh, security would grab a hangman. Swerve would break away from his security, get a hangman, and now that's how uh, Dynamite will end. This is a great Dynamite to follow up with AEW World's end because this set a lot of things going into 2024. It set up a new heel faction of AEW uh, Undisputed Kingdom. You have uh, Dan Perrazzo now in AEW. You have Private Party back. You have Swerve Strickland, again, stamping his name to be the next AEW World Champion. You have Hangman Page wanted to get revenge. You have the the acclaimed running revenge. You have Bullet Club Gold wanting revenge. I mean, you set all, up a lot of things going into 2024. So, again, this is a great way for AEW to follow the success of AEW World's end, especially after that final conclusion that we saw. And hopefully they continue this momentum going into the rest of 2024. So with that being said, that was your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to SmackDown. SmackDown would open up with them doing a recap of The Rock showing up on Monday Night Raw, talking about the head of the table stuff. So you know what comes up next. You will see Roman Reigns' vehicle drive into the building. Roman Reigns pop out of the building with his wise man, uh, Paul Heyman, still holding the WWE Undisputed Universal Championship. Uh... Roman will get stopped by Kayla Braxton. Kayla would ask Roman what he thought about Rock's uh, suggestion on Monday Night Raw. Roman would kind of laugh it up and then just walk away. And that's all that we would get of Roman Reigns with talking about The Rock or anything mentioning a Roman Reigns uh, tonight until like the main event. And I'll get to that whenever I talk about the main event, but... I was shocked that they didn't do more with this with Roman at all. You didn't see Roman talk. You didn't see Roman do no action. He just laughed and he just walked away. You didn't get him and uh, his cousins, um, Jimmy and Solo, a bloodline uh, locker room segment, any of that this episode. That was kind of weird for me. I thought they would have at least done something, but I think they're probably going to save it up more. And since this is a New Year's uh, resolution or revolution, one or the two, uh, special for SmackDown, I think they were trying to focus more on the in-ring action. That's the reason why we didn't get a lot of Roman Reigns on that episode. But again, was kind of weird, but I understand, kind of. But now, after that, we'll get to the show. We will start off with the finals for the United States uh, tournament. We have Kevin Owens going against Santos Escobar. Santos will come down to the ring with uh, Andrew Garza and Humberto Carrillo, but before that match would happen, you see Logan Paul, he'll get on commentary, so Logan Paul's here to see who he's going to be facing, as well as LWO's uh, Cruz del Toro and Joaquin Wilde would take out Andrew Garza and Humberto as all four of those men would fight up the ramp to the back, so this would be left to a legit one-on-one competition between Kevin Owens and Santos Escobar. Kevin Owens would win the match by pinfall by hitting Santos with the stunner, to win and become the number one contender for the United States Championship. So we are going to have that match at the Royal Rumble. Logan Paul, he will leave the commentary table. He would grab a microphone and he would just start talking trash to Kevin Owens. Logan Paul will even get so arrogant to start coming into the ring, talking trash into Kevin Owens' face. And Kevin Owens wouldn't take that 
but but so much with Kevin Owens hitting Logan Paul in the face with his cast, knocking Logan down to the mat and kind of knocking him out. So I can see right now in the buildup to Kevin Owens versus Logan Paul, you're going to see Logan Paul more likely complaining about Kevin Owens having a cast on his arm and you'll probably want the cast to be removed before their match at Royal Rumble. Kevin Owens would probably say, well, it's kind of equal because Logan Paul has that whole titanium plate in his hand. So anytime that uh, Logan Paul can hit someone, it knocks them out. So it's going to be interesting to see how they pulled that one off at the Royal Rumbles between these two guys and the promos leading up to it. But I think everybody knew Kevin Owens was going to be the guy to face Logan Paul because those two have history. So we're getting that. And also, it seems that we're getting Logan Paul mixing it up with uh, Grayson Waller and Austin Theory, these three guys being a faction or at least being a group because you will see backstage Logan Paul holding his face. Grayson Waller and Austin Theory will be walking behind him, trying to tell him, hey, man, it's all right. Just put some ice on your face. We'll walk to you to the trainer's room. Cameron Grimes, he would appear and laugh at Logan Paul getting knocked out by Kevin Owens. So you see Grayson Waller take up for Logan, and you see Grayson Waller and Cameron Grimes have a little words with each other, and it would be set up for their match next week between the two. So you have Cameron Grimes going against... um. God, Grayson Waller next week on SmackDown. Now, after this, we go back to in-ring. We have the Street Profits and Bobby Lashley coming down to the ring. And they're here for a promo. Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits are mentioning how 2024, they're going to be dominating uh, this year. Street Profits, they're going to be trying to go after the tag team titles. Bobby Lashley, he's going after the championship, the WWE Undisputed Universal Championship. But he goes to declare himself into the Royal Rumble, and once they get done talking about how they want to dominate 2024, you will see the lights, like, go out, and you see Titantron, and it's Karen, Karrion Cross and Scarlet, and they've been doing this whole thing, like, do you see it now? And it's Karrion Cross coming out, Scarlet comes out right beside him, then you see Paul Ellering come out, Paul Ellering, he is a older gentleman who was the manager of Legion of Doom, or the World Warriors, and he was the manager of the team that has returned back from being released all but four years ago, AOP, Authors of Pain. They were a big tag team in NXT during, what, I'll say 2016, 2017 time period, and they're now back with the company. They're here. They uh, attack the Street Profits and Bobby Lashley, carrying Cross. He would come down and help out Authors of Pain. They will leave Bobby and the Prophets laid out in the ring. So that'll be that. So it seems that we get our first feud of Karrion Cross and Authors of Pain is going to be with Bobby Lashley and the Prophets. And I'm glad for that. Because Bobby and the Prophets, it seems like the experiment that they wanted to do with them, with them being bad guys, and the fans just loving Bobby, loving the Prophets so much, that kind of failed, so they had to revert to turning them into... Uh, good guys, and now you have Karrion Cross, a guy that has been flailing on the main roster, who just couldn't get anything from the main roster. It seems that he has his own group now with himself and Authors of Pain. Hopefully, that would be something in Authors of Pain. They never really got on to the right foot. I mean, they were already tag champions when they got to the main roster. I believe twenty twenty late twenty eighteen, early twenty nineteen, one or two, and. That was about it. They didn't really get into any memorable 
storylines, any memorable feuds, anything. It just like they were the big heavy teams. That's about it. And now you see WWE having authors of pain back. That's great. So again, seeing all six of these guys hopefully mix it up. That's going to be great for everybody in this program. At least that's the way I feel. Now, next up, you have the Women's Championship being defended. EO Sky will be defending it against Mia Yim. And both of these ladies did what they were supposed to do. They had a legit one-on-one matchup. You didn't see any members of Damage Control interfering in this match. And that was shocking to me. I thought we were going to have, like, Bailey or Asuka, Kyrie, or even Dakota coming out to make the save and help them out. But, no. EO fought... Mia Yim all by herself. Mia Yim was able to show to everyone what she's capable of. And this was a match that I would say this is probably Mia Yim's best match that she's had on the main roster throughout her whole time in WWE. Like, she was able to bust it out with EO. She even hit a middle rope styles clash. Mia Yim and EO, they went out and they did what they were supposed to do. Uh, Mia Yim would eventually cost herself the championship whenever your EO Sky is outside of the ring. Mia Yim would go for a suicide dive and EO would move. Mia's face would eat the ground and it had a sick thug when she did it. So you see Mia kind of like get herself up and like post herself right next to the barricade trying to catch her breath. But then you see EO looking at Mia running over and hit her with a running double knees to the face. Then roll her into the ring and then hit a over the moon salt onto Mia to retain her championship. So Io is still your women's champion, and that, as I said, was a great match. And I will say, if you like women's wrestling, you probably want to go and check that one out. Now, after this, we will have Pretty Deadly going against Butch and a tag team partner of his choosing, and his tag team partner would be Tyler Bate. Tyler Bate and Butch, they have. History from the independence to their time coming into WWE when they had the WWE UK uh, tournament for the championship. And you saw those two being the last two guys fight for that title. And these two have been together for some time. As I said, they have history with one another. So it makes sense for Butch to pick Tyler Bate. Uh, Tyler Bate and Butch would win the match by pinfall by hitting an assisted Tyler Driver 98 onto Kit Wilson to win the match, so hopefully Butch is done with Pretty Deadly. Tyler Bate, he's now on the main roster. We'll have to wait and see about that, but I hope that they do something with Butch. If they don't bring Sheamus back and uh, Rich Holland, he is on NXT. I'm hoping that Butch is allowed to go back to being Pete Dunne, to go back to being himself, and he's able to do what he needs to do. That's what I'm hoping for for Butch slash Tyler Bate. Slash Pete Dunn here. That's what I'm hoping for. Now, we go off to the main event. We go to the triple threat matchup between Randy Orton, AJ Styles, and LA Knight, where the winner will be facing off against Roman Reigns for the WWE Undisputed Universal Championship at the Royal Rumble. And this match would end in a no contest because the bloodline, Roman Reigns, Jimmy Uso, and Solo Sokoa, will come down to the ring and fight all three of these men. Now, before I get to... uh, the bloodline coming out. I will say that this triple threat match was a good triple threat match. It was a main event caliber triple threat match as it's supposed to be because you have a main event caliber superstars of AJ Styles and Randy Orton and you have a guy like LA Knight who you see is being propped up to be pushed into that main event picture. 
um, he was able to show out here. And again, it was a solid triple threat match between all these guys. You had your usual. You had LA Knight hitting the BFT onto Randy. You had uh, AJ Styles stopping the count by grabbing the ref's hand before he hit the three on the mat. You had AJ Styles looking to hit a phenomenal forearm onto Randy, but Randy catches him with an RKO. You had Randy hitting his uh, traditional backdrop suplexes on the commentary table, and the crowd interaction in this was great because the crowd was feeling it. The crowd was loving everything about this matchup, so that added into the hype about this match. Now, getting to the bloodline coming out, the bloodline, they would come out, they would beat up on everybody in here, and Nick Aldis, he's just out here watching the match. He sees the bloodline come out, and he's disgusted by this. Uh, Roman Reigns would powerbomb AJ Styles. He would hit LA Knight with a spear and a Superman punch. And then you see uh, Solo Sokoa and Roman Reigns hit a combination uh, Samoan Spike and Spear onto Randy Orton. And as I said, all three of these men are laid out as the bloodline standing on top. Now, on the outside of the ring, Nick Aldis and Paul Heyman are there. Paul Heyman is just smiling about his tribal chief dominating. And you see Nick walk over to Paul and tap him on the shoulder. And Paul tells Nick, nope, nope. And Nick does it again, and he holds Paul. And he tells him, you tell Roman Reigns, after he's done celebrating, that he just got himself a fatal four-way matchup at the Royal Rumble. So you see Paul look startled by this news, and Nick Aldis will walk away. So now we know what's going to happen at the Royal Rumble. Roman Reigns will be defending his WWE Undisputed Universal Championship against Randy Orton, LA Knight, and AJ Styles. Now, at first, I didn't think this match was going to happen. I thought, okay, we were going to get uh, Roman going against AJ, and then Roman going against Randy at Elimination Chamber. But since now, The Rock has been added into the fold. A lot of things has changed. I think at first, me personally, I would have had AJ, then Randy at Elimination Chamber, and then we would have mixed it up to uh, Roman going against Cody or something like that at WrestleMania. But since, as I said, Roman Reigns and The Rock is kind of penciled in to do something down the line, we're going to get this Fatal 4-Way match at Royal Rumble, and I'm not mad at it. I think everybody knows that Roman is going to retain his championship, but there is this possibility in this Fatal 4-Way matchup that Roman could lose his championship without him being pinned. So that's the best thing about this Fatal 4-Way matchup. I think it's going to add a lot of curiosity to what is going to happen, who's going to walk out of the WWE Undisputed Universal Champion, and I like that they add that little touch of that because when you think about it, Rock and Roman, they don't have to fight for the championship. They're fighting for who is at the head of the table, who truly is. But adding the championship, it just adds something. But again, they don't have to do it that way. So who knows? We'll have to wait and see when Royal Rumble happens. It's still got some weeks for that. But yeah, we'll wait and see by that. But that's how SmackDown will end. And that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over to AEW Rampage. We will start off with a trios matchup. It's the Hardys and Mark Briscoe going against Butcher, Blade, and Kip Sabian. Uh, Mark Briscoe and the Hardys would win the match with Pinfall. When Matt Hardy would hit Kip Sabian with a twist of fate, Jeff Hardy would hit Kip with a swanton bomb. And then Mark Briscoe would finish it with a foggy boat onto Kip Sabian to win the match for his team. 
Now, next up, you have a tag matchup of Chris Statlander and Willow Nightingale are going against two indie female opponents. Chris Statlander and Willow Nightingale would win this match by pinfall when Chris will hit a roundhouse kick on one of the ladies, and then Willow will grab the set lady and hit her with a spine buster to win the match. Now, the thing about this is that it's not really focused on Willow and Chris Statlander. This thing is focused on Stokely Hathaway. Stokely would do the ring announcement for uh, this matchup. He would do the ring introduction, and he would give a big flirtatious style of introduction for Chris Statlander. And then after he's done talking about Chris Statlander, he would just say, and her partner, Willow Nightingale. So this match is for basically Stokely just to try to romance Chris. And Chris isn't having any of it. Chris slaps Stokely behind the head after he gives the ring introduction. And the match happens. And after the match is done, you see Stokely try to go into the ring, uh, hold up Chris's hand. Chris would kind of grab her hand away from Stokely. So again, we're getting this flirty type of storyline from Stokely going and after like Chris do I think it's gonna work I have no idea I like Stokely with his uh introduction to Chris and even having adding a little R&B flair into it trying to do the whole who yeah thing like uh I believe it was Keith Sweat even the commentating team would make note of that so again Stokely he's entertaining guy I just want to see what this is going to lead into for Chris Statlander Stokely and even Willow Nightingale to be honest now, next up, we will have the match that seems to constantly happen whenever they just want to throw a women's match up there. We'll have Hukaru Shida going against Anna Jay. Hukaru Shida would win the match by pinfall by hitting the katana onto Anna Jay to win the matchup. No more needs to be said about that. Again, they constantly throw that matchup just out there. They constantly just throw Anna Jay versus Hukaru Shida. It seems that we saw that match, I want to say, two months ago. And if I saw that match two months ago, and I'm able to remember that match two months ago, don't have it up on here. You could have had Anna J face any other woman, but you wanted to do Sheeta. I understand a AEW loves Sheeta. Hell, I love Sheeta too. But do not constantly give us Sheeta going against Anna J like that. Pick other women for Anna J to wrestle, or pick other women for Sheeta to wrestle. That's all I'm asking for. Now we we'll go off to our main event for the Pure Championship. We have Willie Uta defending the title against Commander. Willie Uta would retain his Ring of Honor Pure Championship by submission. Willie Uta will lock in a Kamora lock onto Commander, and Commander's got one more rope break to use. He will use it, and as he uses that rope break, you will see Commander hold on to the rope, and there's nothing that the ref can do because he uses all his three uh, referee like stoppages. So now Commander's up to just by himself, and as he sold onto the ropes, Yuta wouldn't let go of the submission, which would lead to a Commander tapping out, and Yuta would hold on to still being Ring of Honor Pure Champion. Now with that, that's your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And before I get you guys out of here, I want to talk a little bit about New Japan. New Japan had their big WrestleMania-ish show. It was New Japan, Wrestle Kingdom 18. Um, Wrestle Kingdom this year was not like last year. For me, I feel that the matches on this year uh, Wrestle Kingdom card wasn't as memorable. I mean, the only match for me that I might pop back and watch again would have to be um, 
Okada and Brian Danielson. Other than that, every other match on here was okay. Um, you had uh, Catch 2-2, which is TJP and Francesco Akira defeating Bullet Club War Dogs, Driller Maloney and Clark Connors to win the IWGP Junior Tag Team Championships. You had Hiroshi Tanahashi defeating Zack Sabre Jr., who was the New Japan World Television Champion, to become the new New Japan World Television Champion. So Tanahashi is your new TV champion for uh, New Japan. And also Tanahashi is your New Japan uh, pro wrestling uh, president. He's like a real guy standing in office for New Japan. So Tanahashi has that position now in New Japan. So congratulations to the ace. Uh, you had Yuya Yurimura defeating uh, Yoda Suji. And when you look at Yoda Suji and you look at Yuya Yurimura, you would think Suji should win that matchup. But they're trying to tell the story of how Suji came into New Japan from his excursion earlier this year, all cocksure, ready to take over. But he wasn't ready. He lost to Sonata. He lost to... Osprey for the U.S. Championship, and now he even lost to uh, Yuya Yorimura, who came back to New Japan from his excursion later in the year, around November. And Yuya Yorimura, he's a guy that just does the basics. He handles everything, crafts it nicely, and that's the story that others match, even commentary will let the people know of. And with Yuya Yorimura beating Suji, Suji's going to have to rethink his uh, decisions now. Now, after that, you have Evil and Renarita of the House of Torture going against Shota Umino and Kaito Kiyomiya. Kiyomiya is a guy that wrestles for Pro Wrestling Noah. He happens to show up on New Japan, so I think that New Japan has a business relationship with uh, Pro Wrestling Noah. So, this match, it was alright. Again, nothing more needs to be said here. Uh, Evil and Renarita defeated uh, Shuda Umino and uh, Kido Kiyomiya. Next up, you had the Never Open Weight Championship being defended. You had Shingo Takagi defending the title against Tamatanga. Tamatanga, he would beat uh, Shingo to become the new Never Open Weight Champion. But the funny thing about this is that after this match will happen, you get Tamatanga have a press conference or at least do his backstage interview with the press. And he will let them know that he has, basically, this is his last month in New Japan. So January is his last month there. And he plans on leaving New Japan to be closer to his family in the United States. So expect Tamatanga to probably pull up in WWE because that's where his friends are. Carl Anderson, Doc Gallows, uh, AJ Styles, Finn Balor. I mean, so I expect Tama to be in WWE, if not in February, at least we'll see him probably by March or April. And hopefully he doesn't get the NXT treatment, or hopefully he bypasses all that and just make it to the main roster, because Tomatonga, he ain't got all time like that. Just hurry up and put him on the main roster to side with his boy AJ, Luke, uh, Gallows, and Carl Anderson, and let them just do what they're supposed to do. So, also, I would like to know who Tomatonga is going to drop the new uh, Never Overweight Championship to. That's a question that I would like to know, so hopefully we'll get that uh, very soon. Next up, we have the unification match. Winner takes all the IWGP Tag Team Champions. Uh, Bushimon, which is Hiroko Goto and Yoshihashi, going against the strong openweight Tag Team Champions. 
uh, the Gorilla of Destiny, which is El Fantasmo and Hikaleo. Hikaleo and El Fantasmo would win the match, becoming your new IWGP Tag Team Champions. Uh, so you got El Fantasmo and Hikaleo being the new Tag Champions. Hikaleo being the brother of Tamataga. Tama was able to see his brother capture like major tag team gold, no longer just the strong openweight championship, but actually the championship that himself, Tama, and his other brother, Tagaloa, uh, held. And now you see his other brother, Hikaleu, holding the tag titles that he held. That was probably a good feeling for Tama to see, probably backstage. And, um, yeah, it was good for Hikaleu to have this match. Good for Hikaleu to win the tag titles with Elvin Tasmo. Now, after this match, you would see uh, Nick Nemeth, formerly known as Dolph Ziggler, pull up with his brother, Ryan Nemeth, and they would watch uh, the rest of the show at least to a certain point. And I'll get to that reason in a minute when I say that. Uh, next match, what we have is IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. You have Al Desperado going against Hiromu Takahashi. Uh, El Desperado would win the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. Congratulations to Desperado. He's uh, been... He's a guy that I feel that this was his time to win at Wrestle Kingdom because, like, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship has always been, at least in my eyes, kind of like a part with Hiromu Takahashi. It needed to go to someone else. It needed to uh, feel the touch of a different individual. So with Desperado beating Takahashi at Russell Kingdom, I'm glad for him to have that. I'm glad for him to have this moment as your new IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. Next up, we have a three-way matchup between David Finley, Will Ospreay, John Moxley to crown the new and inaugural IWGP Global Heavyweight Champion. David Finley would do this, and that's kind of not a shocking uh, thing because Will Ospreay and John Moxley... They're both AEW guys. This was Will Ospreay's last Wrestle Kingdom as a full active member of the IWGP New Japan roster. And David Finley, he's the only guy out of this three-way uh, unit that is a guy that signed to New Japan. So for David Finley to beat both Will Ospreay and John Moxley, it was predictable to see, at least in my personal opinion. And uh, after the match, you would see David Finley hold up the Global Championship. He would leave the ring, and he would get in the face of Nick Nemeth, formerly known as Brian, uh, not Brian, God, Dolph Ziggler. So you see those two trade words with each other. Uh, David Finley, he would shove Nick. Nick would punch David, and now you got both David and Nick Nemeth both punching one another until some young lions would run up in there, separate the two. David Finley would start walking to the back. Dolph Ziggler, he would, or Nick Nemeth, um, excuse me, would follow David to the back. You see, when David gets backstage and he's about to do his backstage promo, uh, Nick would jump and leap after David Finley, start brawling with him some more until David would leave and leave his global championship on the floor. Nick Nemeth, he would pick it up. He would cut this passionate promo about being the guy and how this championship right here means that you're one of the absolute best in the world and how he plans on basically taking that championship. So it seems that David Finley kind of got his first big-time official challenger for that global championship being Nick Nemeth. And I don't think nobody's mad at it. Everybody's having a Nick Nemeth that's on the independence now. 
He's able to do what he wants to do. His new gimmick is being the wanted man because he's wanted by a lot of individuals. And that's cool for Nick Nemeth to have that because, again, Nick Nemeth is one of the best wrestlers, period. Bar none, he's going to be probably a guy that's going to be listed as underrated by future uh, pro wrestlers coming into the wrestling business. But Nick Nemeth, he's finally getting an opportunity to do what he wants to do now, and I hope he uh, thrives in this new environment that he's in. Next up, you have the dream match rematch of Okada going against Brian Danielson. Okada would win this match, and now you got Okada and Brian B one and one. I can probably see them running this back uh, somewhere down the line. I'm not going to say Wembley because I think Brian Danielson is going against Nigel McGuinness there. But if Brian Danielson is not going against Nigel McGuinness at Wembley, have Okada and Brian Danielson have that match at Wembley Stadium. That would be my best alternative for that, so they could have the 1-1, one, one, and this would be their tri- tiebreaker match between the two. So, uh, we'll see about that. And then we go to the main event. You have Sonata defending the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship against uh, Tysia Naito, the winner of the G1 Climax of 2023. Tysia Naito would beat Sonata to become your new IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. This is kind of long overdue, four years overdue, because last time uh, Naito would beat or be the IWGP World Champion was when he won the titles during uh, 2020 before the pandemic even happened. I'll say a couple of months before it happened. And once the pandemic happened, that killed all of Naito's uh, momentum, that killed Naito's uh championship reign, and that's whenever he dropped the title to Evil. And as I said, Naito, he hasn't been able to get to that top final spot, and even when he won the championship in 2020, he was attacked by Kenta, and Kenta let Naito know that he was going after those uh, championships that he was holding at the time. And now with Naito winning the championship here against Sonata, hopefully Naito was able to get the ring uh, roll call that he was kind of hoping for, but before that happened, you would see Evil attack uh, Naito and Dick Togo helping out Evil. Sonata, he would pop in, beat up on uh, Evil, and then Naito would hit Dick Togo right in the dick with a running kick to eliminate Dick Togo. Naito, he would be left standing tall. He would do his roll call of Los Ignorables de Japón, and that's how Wrestle Kingdom would end. Um, Wrestle Kingdom was, as I said, it was good, but I don't think nothing really was like outstanding like that. The only thing, as I said, that I think I might go back and watch is Okada and Brian Danielson. Other than that, everything else on this card was okay. It didn't have a big standout match like last year's Wrestle Kingdom, where you had uh, Will Ospreay going against Kenny Omega for the IWGP United States Championship, and uh, Jay White going against Okada in the main event. They didn't have that here, but they were able to make do with what they can, so that's all I can say for New Japan. Also, before I get off of New Japan and get you guys completely out of here, Matt Riddle. He's going to be up in New Japan uh, soon because at New Year's Dash, that's Wrestle Kingdom's New Japan's uh, Raw after their big show, like they're after their Wrestle Kingdom. You see Tanahashi have a match. He wins and retains his television championship, and you'll see a video playing on the Titantron, and it's of Matt Riddle. 
Matthew Riddle would let Tanahashi know that he's going to be coming after him and that New Japan should expect him soon. Tanahashi would agree, but he would say that he has no idea who Matthew Riddle is, so he has to look up who Matthew Riddle is. So we have that going right here. You have Nick Nemeth popping his head into New Japan, and now you got Matthew Riddle popping into New Japan. And also, you had last year Mercedes Monet popping up into New Japan. New Japan is starting to build itself up, and hopefully they continue more with that. They continue to put a lot of eggs in the basket of uh, Bullet Club War Dog. They put eggs in the basket of Los Angeles Day Upon. They put eggs in the basket of the remaining members of the United Empire. That's what I'm hoping for with New Japan, because these are the groups that's going to carry your company into 2024 and beyond. That's the way I feel about it, but we'll have to wait and see about that. And if you want to know more about New Japan, check out a YouTuber named Wrestling Ranton. He's a guy that I follow for a lot of New Japan news. Whenever I don't have enough time to look at it like that, I go to him and I watch him explain what's going down in New Japan. So go check out Wrestling Ranton uh, YouTube page and you'll see him talk about New Japan. Now, with all that being covered, it's time for me to get you guys out of here. Um, I hope you guys have a great Saturday. I hope you guys are safe if you're in the Northeast right now. I told it's supposed to be snowing and raining coming towards your way. Please be careful. Please be safe. Have all the stuff you're supposed to have so you can stay inside your house whenever it starts snowing. And for everybody else around the world and around the country, I hope you guys are safe. I hope you guys have a great rest of your 2024. It just started and we have a whole lot of... Uh, things that just popped off in 2024 which I'll be talking about tomorrow on my Sunday episode. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day today. Uh, be careful, be kind, be nice to everyone as much as you can. This has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I have been G2. I just want to say I love you guys. Have a great rest of your day and you'll hear from me soon.